Hello, this is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon, the Shockmaster, the B-A-double-D, Big Steel Man, and you're listening to BBGWrestling.com. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Hands Off The Merchandise on BBGWrestling.com. I am Pablo and I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the last episode, or the previous episode, with LGBT uh, film director Ry Levy about his upcoming movie Out In The Ring. Can't wait for that. There's been lots of good feedback on the interview as well. This week, um, I have with me the author of Crazy Like A Definitive Chronicle of Brian Pillman, 20 years later, I have with me Liam O'Rourke. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing finer than frogs here, my friend. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, I used to give these things like really long introductions and talk about like my thoughts on like what happens in wrestling and stuff. And then I realized no one cares about that. Like <laughs> I have, I, I, you know, and, and I'm not doing this to like put myself down, but I, I have too much WrestleMania 9 merchandise to feel that anyone would care about my opinion on wrestling. Um, <laughs> you know so <laughs> you know it's true um so yeah no uh, you know the interview is the is the meat of uh the the matter and uh no one no one cares about my opinion oh don't be saying that they they, they, they listen to you for a reason man <laughs> yeah for the for the guest <laughs> <laughs> hey they, these guests though man they do the rounds you know they, there's plenty of shows they can listen to and they listen to this one so don't worry about it it's true uh you follow a, um quite a lineage of names uh Ahmed Johnson. That's um, tremendous. Volkov was on recently, I know. Was he? No, 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 not Volkov. Volkov's <laughs> dead. What am I talking about? Oh, Christ, who am I thinking of? Who was it? You had, go through the list of names you had on recently. The, the one that I'm thinking of will immediately come to mind. Oh, God. Well, I mean, the thing is, there's lots of shows on the BBG um, network, and I don't, in- I don't interview many of the new wrestlers because I know very little about new wrestling, I'll be honest. Um, people can't see it. I am wearing an Iron Sheik t-shirt, and... Um, I'm surrounded by vintage 90s and 80s WWF memorabilia. Um, uh, who have I interviewed recently? This is your interview, by the way. We will get into that. Um, <laughs> you know, your career and the book and everything. Um, I don't know. Did I interview a Russian person recently? Hmm, uh, Trevor Murdoch you interviewed recently. He's not Russian. <laughs> no, he's definitely not Russian. Um, who <laughs> a passing resemblance to Volkov. It might have been him that I was thinking of. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, do you want to know? If, oh, it's it's awful to speak ill of the dead, but um, actually, this involves two deceased wrestlers. Um, someone who I knew uh, was wrestling uh, a show in Philadelphia for Todd Gordon. And, oh yeah. Uh, this was around like 2007, I want to say, and this person was good friends with uh, Trent Acid. You remember Trent oh, Acid? Ah, I do indeed. The Backseat Boys. Yeah. So um. Uh, this person mentioned that uh, Nikolai Volkov was going to be there, and I was just like, "Oh, can you get me something signed? Anything? Um, you know, that would be great." I, I, I hate asking wrestlers to ask other wrestlers to do stuff because it makes them look like the mark. Um, yeah. But this person was like, "Yeah, no, fine." Uh, but apparently, the conversation that this uh, person was having with Nikolai Volkov was so boring. 
that she <laughs> th- that this person had to get away as quickly as possible and and ask Trent acid acid for an autograph instead to me. And uh, I have a backseat boys towel uh, originally signed to Jeff, and then Jeff is scribbled out. <laughs> <laughs> And then it says to Paul. Uh, so yeah, the the lengths that someone will get, you know, go to to, oh, sadly get away from Nick Lightbolt. I think he was talking about politics. To be fair, yeah, um, didn't he run for like the House of Delegates or something like that? <laughs> he, he seriously did. He made like a run for it in his local constituency. Good on him. And I interviewed John Crowver, who did the Nick Lightbolt comics and everything. And um, and Nick Light has a new action figure coming out. It's his first figure as his USA sort of um sympathizer. Like, you know, he, yeah. uh, the Russian Empire crumbled and um, he decided to become, you know, an American patriot for a bit. Yeah, so this is the, the period when Sergeant Slaughter was bemoaning the pinko commies that we were taking in in, in the United <laughs> States, yeah. Oh, we're going to do more parts of this. I can I can imagine that we're just going <laughs> to talk about random wrestling shite. Um, so, yeah, you have written a book about one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, um, Brian Pillman, and... For me, the first time I saw Brian Pullman ever was um, Capital Combat 90, The Return of Robocop. Oh, what a gem. Holds a place in my heart. Um, with him and the Z-Man against one of my favorite teams of all time, Midnight Express. So when you're, cause you're, you are my age and you live in the UK and uh, it's kind of, I've spoken to a couple of UK based authors now, uh, which is kind of weird because I'm just used to speaking to speaking with American authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were my age. When did you first discover wrestling? And after that, when did you discover Pillman? Was there like a long gap? Not massively. So I start, I became aware of wrestling in like 1991 because my brother Kieran, who's a little bit older than me, was a fan before I was. And because of that, I was kind of following WCW worldwide on ITV. And yeah. one of my... One of my early memories was watching an episode and the show open for Worldwide with that cheesy music that comes on was Pillman and Austin like mouthing at the camera. And it was talking about how the Hollywood Blondes were going to wrestle. And I immediately just thought, I hate these two pricks. So like I, my first impression of Pillman was I, I hated him because he was those two were such obnoxious heels. And uh, as, as a brief aside, I actually just got the uh, the WCW like, Worldwide tapings from 93 in a bulk order. And I, what I found the episode that I'm, I was thinking of with, with them in the opening. So those, it's like August 93 was when I really started becoming aware of Brian. But after initially not liking him, the deal with, with him was obviously you go to the, the video store, that relic of history, and, and you watch the Capital Combats that you're talking about. You watch the Super Bowl twos with him and Liger. And it's like, this guy's actually pretty fucking great. And he's a good guy. So, you know, the appreciation for him developed uh, pretty early into actually knowing who he was. Well, the the, the thing is, is what well, I mean. My one of my earliest memories is uh, worldwide, and it, it's a specific image. And I got to tell him this on the podcast interview of um, Sid. Do you know when he would like pin his opponent, but then he would crawl to the camera? Yeah. And then so it, that was just an image that was just ingrained in my mind um, in '93 because I've, I've spoken about this to so many people that '92 was when. I got into wrestling because of, you know, SummerSlam sold out Wembley Stadium, etc. So wrestling became huge in the UK, um, you know, to the point where WCW was on ITV. Um, so did you did you have Sky then or was it just a, a more of a necessity thing that, you know, it just ITV was the wrestling that you had access to? 
Yeah, we had we had Sky when my brother was following it in 91. I think somewhere along the way in 92, we <laughs> dropped it. So for me, when I started becoming aware of wrestling was the aforementioned WrestleMania 9, uh, but that you have tons of merchandise of. I was, really do. Yeah. My, my my brother had it taped from a friend because we didn't have Sky at that point, And I was just on my own one day at the house. And I would have been like six years old, six, seven years old, something like that. And it's just like, I'm just going to watch this and see what this is all about with my own eyes, with nobody around me to influence me. And it's funny that that's the show where I just was like, I need to watch more wrestling. And I just started watching worldwide frequently because that was, like you say, that was the best outlet to watch you could see at the time, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. And when you think about the... I mean, I'm going to sh- shake your hand and give you a hug at some point for <laughs> having WrestleMania 9 be one of your first things that you ever saw. Um... Because I, I, I will bore people to death on how much I love WrestleMania 9. Um, like, seriously, me and Colin Delaney did about six episodes talking about WrestleMania 9 um, <laughs> solely. Um, so even back then, because, you know, worldwide and, and the roster in 92, 93, and it was kind of a not as a, not as glitzy a presentation or colourful a presentation as WWF at the time. Um, mm. So were you immediately attracted? Cause I mean the gimmicks, big Josh, etc. you know, um, they were what they were. Um, were you immediately attracted to sort of the more fast paced action? Cause they had a hell of a roster around that time and it kind of gets forgotten about. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting, I've never really thought of it that way before, but to be honest, I think that I didn't particularly give a massive shit at the time about stuff like production because I mean, it was darker and it was dingy in WCW for sure. But I think that, like, my, my introduction to what wrestling was was seeing the WWF. And so, like, I never really, at that point, because, again, I was so young, I never really outwardly compared the production values. I just liked to see wrestling and the good wrestlers. And, like, at that point, it's like I loved, like, Too Cold Scorpio. And then Sting was colorful as hell. And, obviously, the Bulldog was the man because he got all the – because he was, yeah, obviously, he was what he was. So, um I never really outwardly thought of it like this is my promotion or anything like that. It's just like I I love all wrestling that I can get my hands on because as a kid at that point, it was not that easy if you didn't have Sky to just have access to it all the time like we do now. So that kind of sparsity made the heart grow fonder. That's true. And and the thing is what people don't realize as well is WCW merchandise, like the videos were cheaper um, and figures were like just merchandise wcw merchandise generally was a little bit cheaper and mm. uh galoob did uk exclusive figures and we had a shop called winners which was like kind of the equivalent of bnm bargains now um <laughs> and my mom every week would come in with like you know uh oh god figures that are just worth a fortune now like elegante and you know butcheries and all those kind of things and the sting luger double pack all yeah. that kind of thing um and the one of the first things i got was the wcw ring and um yeah, I, I guess it's kind of, I guess you don't realize because you are a kid and you are, a, a manip- your mind is ripe for manipulation. So you yeah. don't realize that you're being marketed towards um, with, you know, colors or costumes or characters or music and all that kind of thing. Um, but I did love. You know, because the videos were so readily available, I didn't realize how edited some of those WCW videos were until much oh, later on dude they um, were hacked like i remember like i got like beach blast 92 and then like when i remember like it, it took it until like on the internet to like read the full cost like, i don't remember seeing greg valentine versus marcus bagwell on that tape what the <laughs> hell are they talking about and like even like pillman i think pillman winning the light heavyweight title at like halloween havoc 91 wasn't even on the tape 
like at the end of the show, they like they offer a congratulations to Brian Pillman. And it's like, I didn't see Brian Pillman. That's because they were so cheap. Like they would only do those Turner Entertainment releases on two-hour videos, and so they'd have to chop an hour off the pay-per-view. So, yeah, we kind of got screwed on that. We did. It, Great American Bash 90, another one of my favorite events. Pillman's matches cut off as well. And uh, if was it? Oh, was I think it was Dutch Mantel. Who he faced? Uh, was it him? Was it Buddy Landell? I'm trying to. It was, trying Buddy, to it was Buddy Landell. Buddy. It was. It was kind of this weird two half pay per view where it was like some old territory dude who didn't look that good. He had a hairy back or whatever against yeah. some young up and comer like Pillman or Tom Zink or you know. And then Sheik was knocking around. I think on that pay per view <laughs> for some reason just to bring it back to that fine t shirt. Oh, Sheik's nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety WCW run. Good lord. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah those matches were you know it's obvious to see why they were cut off the event and then all of a sudden it was midnight express against the southern boys which is one of my favorite matches of all time oh, but that was like it. that was like fifth match on the on the card <laughs> no like four matches there between that uh or before I, I, that, I can certainly see why they led off with that on the pay-per-view it was rotunda versus the iron sheik for six yes. minutes <laughs> <laughs> and Sheik, he kind of still has a six pack, but he also has the gut. Um, <laughs> and he kind of hanging over his trunks, which barely like fit him at this point. Those trunks just went up for auction recently, and I was like, "Do I really want something that Iron Sheik's balls have sweated into?" <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course well, you do. I, I do, but you'd be surprised how many other people want that kind of stuff as well. You know. Wow. Um, <laughs> so um. When did your interest in writing begin? Uh, I think I always had it because I remember being young and like we had a typewriter at the house for some reason. I was obsessed wow. with the typewriter, so like I would like try and like write little bits and pieces and short stories and like as and and love like again love wrestling magazines and stuff like that. So like I was obsessed with like pouring through those things and trying to like write my own reports when I'd seen one of the television shows and stuff like that. So like I always had like a writing uh, itch and then obviously followed that through school and, and studied journalism at uh, the University of Wolverhampton, so kind of went all the way through. So journalism was the, the aspiration at that point? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, when I left school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but, like, journalism seemed like the most logical thing because it allowed me to do something that I actually liked, which was writing, um, and being able to kind of, like, choose my choose the narrative of what I wanted to say and then kind of craft it and, and cultivate it and edit it relentlessly until i'm actually finally happy with it um and that's kind of a i like that process i like that creative process you know i know that you, you were talking before about doing stuff with music and things like that it's a very similar thing of like you know creating something that you how, how you kind of like have a benchmark in your mind of what you think it can achieve and then as you kind of you have to kind of like tweak things here and there to try and make it feel good at the end and complete when you read it and satisfy and kind of make you think in new ways so yeah that was always kind of something that i was i think that's always been in me from the beginning what what kind of um, journalism did you specifically want to pursue? Was it sports journalism or? It was originally sports. So when around the time when I had left uni, there was there's a paper called the Express and Star in Wolverhampton, and they were they would do like apprenticeships and like dealings with the with the with the university, and right at the time that I left. And I had something lined up with the Express and Star. They, the parent company dropped like 500 jobs. It was, this is like credit crunch period of time that we're talking about, 2007, 2008, yeah. when I left. So like the, the basically like the opening I thought I would have to get my foot in the door kind of didn't exist. So I ended up like writing in medical journals like a, couple of, you know, a few years down the road. It was just like I ended up doing like originally like just copywriting. But like the way that medical journals works 
you do like copywriting stuff for them, they'll come back to you and say, okay, we like this copy, but now do like a 1,500 word article specifically on this pre-hospital emergency care company that you're, you know, you're trying to tell us about. So like, that's, that's kind of where it would go. It's just like, you know, you kind of fall into this stuff sometimes. So, so at that point, did, um, does research generally, uh, become a, like a fascination with you? Like, did you become a bit like OCD about that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, and and that was something with Pillman always, I've always had that kind of, um, it is a bit obsessive i guess it's probably the way to put it it's like if, if there's a subject that I, I i'm intrigued by and pillman was one and, and part of it was selfish too because i trained to wrestle in like 2003 at the fwa academy and like one of the guys that i would watch and study was pillman just because again he was so he was so I was, yeah as an impressionable kid he was so impressive to me that like i always kind of have that thing of like what was it about him that captivated me enough to think that he was worth copying because there was an element of me that definitely wanted to emulate, like, okay, so not necessarily to steal what he did, but just, like, what was it about him that worked? Because, again, like, you see this now, where there's, like, the, the athleticism is higher than it's ever been on average in wrestling, but there's very few people that have a, the unique charisma to, to pull it off and make it unique and make it feel like you want to watch them specifically, rather than just an excited match kind of a thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So there, it, there, are, there are things that separate, but not, not to insult them, I'm about to but there's a difference between a team like the Young Bucks and a team like Top Flight at the moment. Top Flight's got, you know, obviously they're young, they've got a long way to go, they've just debuted in AEW, um, but, like, they've got so much to develop and they've got, like, that personality they've got to develop and the, and the charisma and stuff like that, and once they get it, then they will evolve into a team like the Bucks, where it's like you put them on TV and, like, they always do good ratings. Yes, that is true. So in, watch in 2003, I mean, sort of locally around that time, uh, wrestling schools started to open around here as well and I, I, I thought about it because it was something I was always kind of like mm, but it'll never happen because there's no schools around here there's no way to even pursue it in my mind um, so I just kind of like you know d didn't even think about it but then once the schools happened I was kind of like slightly intrigued about it but um, a lot of sort of trainees around that time were influenced by what was going on at that time um so you know you had a lot of people dressed like the hardy boys in those kind of like yeah. you know, jeans with the pockets on the sides and stuff <laughs> like that um did you stand out in 2003 at the fwa academy because of your love for someone who you know wasn't around anymore you know I'm sure obviously you're watching stuff as well uh, like currently at the time but having someone like brian pullman as your favorite wrestler did that sort of put you on like the trainer's radar probably not to be i mean because it wasn't something that was overt in me then like it was that that was something that kind of developed afterwards like when i went to the train and i didn't really because Shawn michaels was the guy that i would kind of would think okay that's the guy to emulate is Shawn michaels because you know he's just fucking great in the ring and especially like his, his yeah, the heel stuff in 97 when he's just the most obnoxious douchebag in the world it's like some of my favorite stuff to this day yeah. and it's like that's so that's kind of what i would model myself after if anything that the trainers would, would have been able to figure out but uh no, it really wasn't anything that kind of stood out to, to anybody because it was just kind of quietly within me. And it was only after that when like I kind of would start wrestling on local shows and start kind of taking things a little bit more seriously. That I kind of just thought to myself, you know, I really am, I'm, I'm becoming fascinated with what made Brian tick. And just like any chance that like anybody came over here to wrestle who was a name who I knew had been around Brian, I would just always hound them with questions about Pillman and write them down in notebooks. And I just had this stack of notes that I developed over like years 
and in addition to that obviously like doing like the typical research looking in old newspapers and stuff like that and you know finding you know the the, the stuff in the cincinnati inquirer and things like that that had been written about him and just yeah the 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 slow process of just knowledge gathering, which was really just for my own interest. Um, just kind of, it, so to the point where like one day my brother made a comment about writing a book and I just said, you know, I don't really know what wrestling book I could really write about that would make me qualified apart from Pillman because <laughs> I, I'd, I'd actually kind of gone out my way by that point. I was like, actually just like trying to find a way to talk to people about Brian. I've been a bit more proactive about it. And so it's like, I could probably do that because I've got all these notes that like people, yeah, there's a ton of stuff that people don't know about Brian or don't know well enough because his, 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 you know, his, his story is well known, but the details which make it so fascinating are not as well known. Um, and that was the stuff that interested me was that the, the, the deeper you kind of cut into the onion, the more layered you, you find he is. So uh, when did that research kind of start? Like in 2003, around that time. 2003 is a very casual thing of just like, again, who are the wrestlers that I want to emulate? And, you know, so I'm watching a lot of Brett, a lot of Perfect, a lot of Michaels, Kabashi, um, you know, guys who obviously, when you say them all like that in a row, Pillman, don't yeah. blend at all. There's like, you know, there's no real way to be a hybrid of all of these different guys. But, you know, you just, you just look at what works. And so it was very kind of, it was very mild at that point. But around 2006, it really started to escalate. And by, I don't even know what it was. I just remember watching a promo of his when he was the loose cannon that I hadn't seen before because I didn't have access to ECW TV when I was younger and seeing the old ECW TV, somebody had posted one, I guess on like a forum in 2005. And I just saw, uh, I think it was the promo of him in the limousine on one of the Pulp Fictions. Uh, and it's just like, God, this, this, this character is just so good. And it's like, I want to, you know, it's just like the more I saw of him, like the more I wanted to know about him. And that's when I would finally, you know, eventually, like again, years and years later, it's like, I'm going to do this book. So now I need to talk to Kim Wood and I need to talk to his family. I need to talk to, you know, go out of my way now to talk to people who I wouldn't have spoken to before just to find out as much as I possibly can. Because, and, and again, the, the, I, when I started doing that, I didn't do it with the idea that I was definitely writing a book that I was going to release for people to read. It was, I'm going to see if there's a book there. And then the more I interview people, it's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a book here. So... <laughs> So and I want to um, sort of go back a little bit, but we'll we'll do that in the like later on in the interview because yeah. I want to sort of delve into the book. But start talking to these people because I mean you know for someone like me who has a, a podcast and you know there's a million wrestling podcasts out there as there are a million wrestling journalists in inverted commas and all that kind of <laughs> thing. Like when you're sort of trying to contact these people and I know social media has made things a lot easier. I was able to interview Brian Junior. Um, yeah. Because he was so open to doing interviews, he might not be now. Now mm. that he's done like a million of them, um, and you know, there's only so many times you can be asked, "What was it like being in the house when Austin or when your dad had the gun and all that kind yeah, of thing?" Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> um, so, how receptive were some of these people to you? Like, were they, you know, when you're not specific, you don't specifically have a project in mind. Um, were they kind of a bit leery about talking to you and were they more receptive when you decided to officially make a book every everybody was super receptive and i didn't really i don't say i didn't have to work hard because i did but at the same time it was thing where i had to work hard to get their attention once i yeah. got their attention they were all everybody who i spoke to was completely like willing to do it the only person and i don't even know that he was necessarily leery as much as he just didn't want to waste his time was raven who when I spoke to him, he was just like, okay, I'm up for doing this, but before I do, I want to ask what qualifies you to be the one writing this book 
and basically you know kind of just he threw like eight to nine questions you know eight or nine questions at me just basically like quizzing me on like what what the book was going to be why i thought i was qualified to write it what i had so far who i'd spoken to and once i answered all those questions he was just like well you answered that about as perfectly as you could so let's do it and he anybody got him on the phone he was so excited to talk about brian and that's the thing everybody everybody generally was there was no one who was like unwilling that i could get a hold of because it was like they all have such fond memories and they all wanted to talk about him. They all want to share the memories, even if the memories weren't necessarily ones that painted him in the best light sometimes, yeah. which there's a little bit of that in the book, but they, they wanted to tell it because it's, it's a true story and because it's a fascinating story. It's like, it's like a slight to him to ignore who and what he was. So everybody was, was completely willing to talk about him. If, as soon as they understood what I was doing, they were all on board. And, and I know that, you kind of had a, a, a plan for the book, which kind of changed as time went on. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, originally for, for listeners, was it going to be more a stats kind of book? Um, it was going to, yeah, it was, it was because I, again, I, cause I, at that point, cause I'm being an NFL fan too. I'd studied his career and his, and his, his college football career quite a lot. And I knew how impressive his football career was. Yeah. So it was like, okay, I really want this book to be, kind of the collection of stories that I've gathered gathered over the years and all the information that I've acquired and just pull it together. It wasn't going to be like a big, long biography. It was going to be like a shorter book, but with these cool little stories. And it was going to be just like a thing. And it was, and it would, obviously, it would have been cheaper, but it was just been like a, a quick little thing to pick up, really fun stories, and it would have been nice. And it was only when I, you know, the depth of the research became apparent that there's far more to this. That we, And again, it's, it's a bigger task. So it needs a lot more construction and a lot more fine tuning and a lot more work. But at the same time, it's like, that's kind of what this needs to be. Especially when I saw the W's DVD again, I watched the, the Pillman documentary that they did yeah. in like 2006. I'd watched it on a, just have it on in the background one day uh, in like 2015 or 16. And I just remember th- being like, God damn, after everything that I found out after all this time, it's like the fact that they did this, it really pissed me off. Cause it was like, and I know from talking to Kim Wood that when they, uh, when the when the WWE outsourced the filming of that to a film company, they didn't do it themselves. So that's why on that DVD they actually interview a lot of people that are like friends of Brian who like aren't in the company. So they get like guys like John Gold and stuff like this um, who are you know friends of his from from childhood. And it's like that's because they outsourced it. It wasn't WWE doing the the legwork. And then WWE got the rushes uh, of what they filmed, and they pretty much just they made what they made, which was the ninety minute really kind of you know truncated version of his life story which doesn't allow you to get into the details and what they did talk about they talked about in such woolly vague terms that like it was like they they were so hell-bent on the idea of trying to create the mystique of brian and explain the mystique of brian that they completely missed the genius of why there was so much mystique around that loose cannon character and and it's like you you kind of made him feel like he was just a normal guy who had come through some tough circumstances did a crazy out of outlandish thing and then happened to have a car crash and then he died. It's like, that's just, there's so much more to the story than that. And it kind of annoyed me. Cause like I said, at that point I was so uh, obsessed about like this individual and like his history and how, how, how fascinating I found him. It's like, you, this has to be told. And there'd been good stuff written about him before Melcher had done some great pieces in the observer. But again, it's like, unfortunately I felt like it kind of needs a book. It needs that long to talk about him. And, I enjoyed the documentary because I'm I'm such a big fan of Brian Pillman, but mm. I you know I I didn't know that it had been outsourced. I'm actually surprised that WWE would allow that to happen and not have their fingerprints all yeah. over it. Um, 
and I, I did enjoy the DVD, but I, 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 you know, like you say, I don't feel like it. I mean, those those documentaries, you know, you make the point yourself that in 90 minutes you can't, you know, fully cover everything unless you're yeah. going to do like a rise and fall of ECW sort of thing. But I, I guess, uh, and th- that doesn't really even cover everything, but, um, you know, I, I, to a point, I kind of understand that WWE has to make it as palatable as possible for the mm. general public. Of course. Um, I, but I think that what you just said there is, is an awesome point. That whole thing about they'd done, at this point, they'd done the ECW DVD. They'd done the Bret Hart DVD. And these were like great documentaries that like... Sold really well as well. And sold very, very well. And it's like they they did well, in my opinion. Obviously, the subjects of, of, were a big part of why it worked. But the whole thing too is like they used their time to give you details and what felt like... A, a, and at every point in those documentaries we talked about, ECW and, and Bret Hart, it feels like they are going quite deep on every topic they're talking about. Whereas with Brian, like they, they spent like five minutes talking about how, you know, he, he revolutionized the in-ring style of, of wrestling in America. And it's like, yeah, but there's, there's more to this four year period than that. Like, you know, <laughs> what about the fucking, all the stuff with Bill Watts and, and, and Ole Anderson coming in and pretty much putting him on ice and, you know, the Hollywood, you know, it's just, it felt like it was, and again, they've only got 90 minutes, but that's the kind of thing where when they're, when they're pounding the same, one-dimensional points again and again it just feels like this is lacking it's lacking and i know what it was lacking so i, I kind of felt like it was a uh, somebody should do it and i thought I, I should put my money where my mouth was oh well, i actually thought one of the biggest slights to brian with the dvd release was that on the cover they included the fact that austin was being interviewed for it um yeah like almost like he had to sell it a little more I so um, they didn't they didn't do that on the American one that was that was a UK exclusive when they, the the uh, the bar on the bottom of the box that says including an interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin on the American one there's a sticker oh okay well there you mm-hmm. go then um I only Shut know that because I worked I worked in sorry I don't want to be that guy like no it's fine um, I'd rather be corrected <laughs> yeah there's a I, I worked in a store that like would get in some region one DVDs that we weren't allowed to sell um. Yeah. And that happened to be one of them. I mean, yeah, it was, there was a sticker, uh, and it had the even had the skull logo yeah, on and all yeah, that kind I, of stuff. I, did, yeah. I, kind of, I got mine from like High Spots or something like that, so I got mine imported, and it didn't have the sticker. So I'm guessing that maybe like the stores checked it on or something like that. But mm, quite. quite so were you collecting merchandise? Or were you like much of a collector? Uh, not really. I mean, to be honest, not at that point. I've done that a lot more recently because I'm, I'm, I'm just, again, I've bought my own house, um, in the last few years. So it's like, now it's like, okay, now I've got all the room in the world to do what I want to do. So now like, maybe I can kind of start looking at getting some cool stuff. So, but before that, like I had like a, the, the, the Pillman flip up shades he wore in ECW and some like, cool little nice. things like that. Uh, and, um, yeah. So like there were little bits and pieces that I kind of had, but, uh, nah, that, that was, that's, that, that's, that's developed more in the, in more recent years. I always wanted uh, on a on a current game for Pillman to be on it, and then they finally did with uh, thirteen mm-hmm. WWE thirteen, and that was I was very excited about that. Um, <laughs> and, and the fact that they've made some like action figures since then as well. Like the, I don't really have much WCW stuff generally, but uh, when they brought out the Flying Brian figure like a couple of years ago, yeah, um, the, uh, yeah. I got the one in the, the with the Bengal print tights. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, they've just made a Hollywood blonde Steve Austin as well. Um, that feels like a bit of a slight to Brian, doesn't it? His <laughs> Hollywood blonde Steve Austin. There are two packs, surely. Come on. Jack's you had would, it right. 
Jax did have it right. Well, the thing is, I'm, I'm guessing what they're hoping is, because it comes with a WCW tag belt as well. It's the first time they've ever released it, so I'm thinking they'll probably want everyone to buy two Austins and then use that Flying Brian head and put it on uh, put it on the Austin figure. Because, I mean, do, do you know at the moment, if, is Pillman still under a Legends contract? Because it feels like I haven't yes. seen anything of him for a while. Uh, the most Okay, so at the time the book was written, the answer was yes. I don't know in the last year or so if that's the case anymore. Uh, you're right in the sense that he's kind of dropped off the game as far as I know. Mm. Um, I don't know. I'll have to double check on that, actually. That's an interesting point. As of 2018, he absolutely was. Did you run into issues with WWE because of the book? Absolutely not. No? No. Nope, were they none. aware of it, though? Were you on their radar? They were aware enough because I'd spoken to them about trying to interview people, and they obviously did not want to because it was completely outside of their remit so they were like uh yeah no we don't know what they're gonna say we can have no control over it so uh thank you but no but uh, you know it wasn't like it was a malicious thing at all it was just that with all due respect we can't we can't do that and it's, it's our yeah unless we're publishing it because they obviously they got their own book deals and stuff like that with companies so it's like they can't they can't you know outsource their stuff to like an independent guy so they were never going to do it but did you self-publish uh the the Pilmer book i did i wasn't gonna um but i had spoken to a book company that's rather well known for doing wrestling books um yeah. and they had basically there were there were issues with deadlines and issues with editing that i didn't really want to be quite honest <laughs> so i was like you know what i think that this would actually do just as well regardless of of who releases it. So I might as well just release it myself and save myself a headache. So what what was the plan when it came to releasing it? Were you, uh, apologies for not knowing this, but did you do a crowdfunder or did you just go right? No, I did it myself. I did the whole thing. I basically, I, pay, I paid for everything that I needed myself. Um, I, I, you know, I just, it was, it was the labor of love. You know, it was, it was the thing of like, in a way it felt like this is the way for me to finally put a pin in this pillman thing that i've had for years now where like i can actually do something productive i'll put my resources into it I, i'm not gonna ask for anything i'm not gonna even announce it ahead of time really it was just a thing of like on the 20th anniversary of his death i'm gonna announce for the first time that there's a book coming and it'll be in a month and then one month later it was there and and it did uh again surprisingly well considering but i, I didn't want it to be for some reason i've always had that thing of like I don't really want to make such a big loud noise that I get like expectations or that I get people, you know, I just don't, it's like, I don't, this is funny because I'm doing a podcast and I've hosted a podcast <laughs> for years. I don't really care about a ton of personal attention. It's like, I don't have any social media or anything like that at all. It's like, I don't really like it. I don't want it. I don't want that. So it's like, I'd rather just put it out there for the world. Here's the book. I hope that you know, that there's a book out there. I hope you buy it. And I know that you're going to like it if you love Brian Pillman. And then the book will, you know, the, the product will talk for itself. You know, it doesn't need me to, to necessarily be, you know, look at me, I'm Liam O'Rourke. Like that means something. It's, it's really about the product. It's about the book and the research that went into it. So let that speak for itself. So how did you like put the word out there then uh, for it to have, you know, since one book of the year uh, for, um, for the Russian Observer and yeah. getting attention from Steve Austin, etc., and not as good attention from Eric Bischoff. <laughs> oh, we can talk about that. I'd love to talk about that. So, <laughs> but thing, yeah, so how did you put it out there then? So like, it was basically again, it was just, it was because it was a labor of love. It was like on the day of the 20th anniversary of his death. The thing, okay, so here's the thing. I should backtrack a little bit. I had a natural advantage in the fact that a lot of the people who were close to Brian were journalists. True. One yeah. of Brian's best friends was Dave Meltzer. Mike Johnson 
credits Brian P- of, of PW Insider credits Brian Pillman for being the first pro wrestler that ever treated him like a peer rather than like a fan. Um, there's a lot of that, you know. We, you know, Pillman was smart in the sense that like all these guys who were like kind of responsible for the narrative of wrestling, Brian kind of was involved with them, and he was a smart guy. I mean, he's, he's razor sharp. That comes through in the book, but it's like he he made. You know, he was a very popular guy and he made a lot of friends. And so it made it very easy when I would speak to guys like Meltzer and guys like Mike Johnson. It's like, we want this to do well because they love Brian. And and and, and you know, Brian was so kind of tied into them. But it's like, okay, so in a way, I'm kind of going to get to kind of annex the, the wrestling media for the book. It's kind of almost like a joint production in some ways of like all these little bits and pieces of, the, of these journalists. And so as a result, it's like, I my job was kind of half done for me because they all knew by the point when, by the time the book was announced and the book came out, they all knew that it was a serious production, that the right questions had been asked. Um, they knew a lot about the project before the people did. So when I would just put it out there and I, 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 I emailed every wrestling website that I could find an email address for to tell them this Pillman book is coming out in a month. And when everybody announced it and then Kim Wood who was again one, you know, probably Brian Pillman's best friend slash father figure? He was he's very proactive and he's genius and he's basically responsible for a lot of these guys getting early copies because Kim Wood if Kim Wood has a book he likes um, Kim Wood was the, the the strength and conditioning coach at the Cincinnati Bengals for 29 years I should just put that in there for the people who don't know who that is um, he basically if he likes a book he buys a bunch of copies of it and then he just sends them to everybody he knows and so all these guys got copies of the book before you know yeah so like very early on it's like it's very good reviews early on like you know Meltzer's talking about how it's the best biography that's ever been written about a wrestler which is like mind-blowing praise to me and Mike Johnson's talking about how I've nailed this one and hit it out of the park and stuff like that and it's like the the early feedback was so strong um that it kind of created the groundswell of you know everybody else saying well this book's making a big noise amongst people who know and the people are talking about how accurate this book is. And, you know, Paul Lazenby uh, got a copy and then he sent a copy to Steve Austin, um, which is how he saw it. I've been talking to Chris Jericho anyway, and I'd sent him a copy. Um, so Jericho had it and he'd been, you know, I know he's mentioned it a few times on this podcast and he, he talked to Brian Jr. Um, you know, there was just, there was a lot of, there was a lot of people, you know, the people who were involved with the book have got loud voices uh in, in in the world these days and so that really that that really did give me a huge leg up because i didn't really pay for advertising it kind of happened for me because these guys were involved in in, in the production of it in a way i think it like fits and is suitable for brian especially during the loose cannon period that this was put out independently and sort of like a grassroots mm-hmm. thing and sort of you know if it was like this glossy thing imposed from above you know, it may, I mean, it would, it probably, it may not have had inaccuracies, but again, it wouldn't have told the full story. It wouldn't have really been suitable for, just not suitable for Brian Pillman, really, who for me, I think more than any wrestler during my lifetime was certainly the most contemporary wrestler. Like he could go somewhere and make the place cool. Yeah. Just by being, by being there. I mean, um, you know, I was, I was more familiar with Flying Brian uh, because, you know, of the videos, etc. There weren't many of the WCW VHS releases that had Hollywood Blondes on, if any. There may be one or two because yeah, by '93 they kind of um, stopped making those videos. And um, then I hadn't seen them for a little while. Then I saw King of the Ring '96, and I was just like, I didn't even, you know, I it didn't click to me that that was Brian Pullman because I hadn't seen him since <laughs> Flying Brian. You know, it's it's one That's of those awesome. things. That, 
what one of the, it would always happen as a kid with those moments when you found out that a wrestler was another wrestler and your mind would be fucking blown that like <laughs> that doc Hendricks was michael hayes you know what yeah. I mean? it was a very innocent time or that like raven was johnny polo and stuff like that I, um, but you know what was cool that was when you figured it out for yourself for the first time like <laughs> hang on a second i remember this guy it's true and, and the thing is i mean he it's kind of a, a forgotten part of king of the ring 96 only because of the austin 316 um promo uh, how barrier breaking you know for the 96 new generation period of wwf brian pillman's interview was it was it left you feeling uncomfortable <laughs> you know i think it left the crowd feeling a bit uncomfortable um and it it just it was so filled with tension and realism and obviously he had the background the work shoot background with all the storylines that had went on and everything with kevin sullivan and with uh, bischoff and you know um it could still be argued to this day whether some of that was real or not which is brilliant like the the blurred lines aspect of it which wwf never really touched at that time um yeah. it really freshened up wwf at that time um I, i've always i agree with you i think that that show that king of the ring 96 show is like so watchable for like just again like the austin promo the pillman promo even stuff like gold dust yeah, Goldust and Ahmed, yeah, the aforementioned guest of the show, Ahmed Johnson, who gets kissed by Goldust and then goes absolutely fucking nuts. But I love, you know, Ahmed's entrance to that show and he bombs through the doors and knocks the jesters over. It's just, I love that show so good. And and it's funny because, like, I agree completely. If you watch the Pillman promo, and there's one he does on, like, the free-for-all as well, like, earlier in the show. Yes. Where, like, he just talks about, like, how, you know, the Unibomber might be behind bars, but the ticking time bomb is here in Wisconsin. And it's like... The way he delivers it, we like I can still see like his bottom lip trembling as he talks, and it's just like this guy is so out there and he's so good, and it's it's painfully tragic in light of what actually happened. I mean, the fact his career was already ruined by the time he cut that promo, yeah. but no, we we didn't know it yet, but we would we would find out unfortunately before too long. It it shows what a what a big deal bringing in Brian Pillman was because they never did press conferences for new signings, um, and they did for Pillman and. Whether he was, I mean, I I don't know if you know since then whether he was kind of in character or not because he started crying and uh, you could tell it was a big deal for him. But was that kind of was that worked? I mean, I sound like a mark now, but <laughs> it just felt real. It really you'll did. see. It's it, yeah. So basically, what happened in that promo was like I, I never understood why they did this, but like they showed on Raw the first sixty seconds where he does that heartfelt promo thanking everybody. He has the tear in his eye. And then he signs and everybody claps. And everybody's seen that clip. In fact, I yeah. think that when he died, they they, they freeze-framed a clip from that with his teary eyes and put yeah. it on the Titantron. What happened immediately afterwards was everyone's doing the applause and he screams, shut the hell up! And everybody's completely frozen. And then he cuts this just massive tirade, this huge monologue about how now that he signed the deal, he's basically going to fuck the World Wrestling Federation for everything that it's worth. Um, never is, saw that well they, they only aired it on like superstars and they didn't air the full thing they the, you can actually find the transcript online because i've got a copy of it um of the full thing of everything that he said and it's basically just again like people like doc Hendricks asking him questions he's, he's, he's threatening to beat up gorilla monsoon at one point who's sitting there um <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's just great stuff and he's just like dropping like f-bombs oh. all over the place and it's like they should this is what should have been on raw 
that's a testament to Pillman. You know, it's one of those things that you can see you're a, I never considered myself like a, a smart or a, a smart fan or anything. I'm just a fan. And I like having the wool pulled over my eyes. Mm. Um, and there you go. I mean, that's what, 24 years ago now, uh, which it makes me feel really old. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know about that. I would love to find that footage. Um, so they they never released the full thing, but I do remember that when Court Bauer, who's a massive Pillman fan, when he went to the WWF, he actually specifically requested the unedited, uncensored version of it, and he saw it. So it's lying around somewhere. And again, how great would that have been as an extra on his DVD? That they never bothered putting out there. <laughs> well, the thing is as well, it's kind of weird that they would have him crying, etc., because it doesn't do wonders for the gimmick. Well, that's um, it. That's, that's why I hate it. It's like, so hang yeah. on a second. You're showing him being all sympathetic here. <laughs> like he broke his leg. He's talking about how he's had some hardships and stuff like that. And then like afterwards, he's like, you know, he's mocking Gorilla Monsoon and say, oh, what are you going to come over here and beat up a cripple gorilla? It's like, that's 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 the Pillman that we know and love. Oh, like, that's, that's so cool. Yeah, no, I, I, as someone who loves to find bits of footage, like rare bits of footage, etc., and watches usually the terrible network documentaries just for like the bits of unseen footage the nuggets, never... yeah yeah um oh i would i would love to see that especially i'm assuming you saw the um what was the wcw pay-per-view where sting took on bubba they found like a 15 minute documentary and put it on the network and there's some pillman footage on there as well like backstage interviews yeah yeah it was the uh was it the i can't remember if it was uncensored or if it was slamboree i think it was slamboree it might have been slamboree yeah slamboree um, 95 yeah so they released like, they, they released that documentary and there's like five minutes worth of interesting footage and they like spread it out over 25 <laughs> minutes. So are, are you a bit of a fiend for that kind of thing, like little nuggets oh, of dude, footage? Oh, dude, I love yeah. it. Yeah, like, but th- this is the thing about you know doing documentaries. Not that I'm trying to just come on here to just insult their documentaries, but like the one thing that I hate about their documentaries, like I did not like the the uh, the Taker series, the Last Ride, that a lot of people seem to like, and like I really didn't like it at all because. Their stuff, their documentaries, as you mentioned, they're carried by the novel footage that they happen to have captured, which is really cool. When it comes to a narrative and telling the story, those documentaries are the shits. And it's like, that's the thing. Like, I hate, like, the, what was that one? It was the WrestleMania. It was a couple of years ago when, like, Brock throws the belt at Vince. Like, oh, what yeah. a what a fantastic clip that was can't wait to see the rest of the documentary to see what actually happened and then like you watch it and like nothing else happens you just show him throwing the belt at him again and it's just like what the f-? you know like you got the yeah, air sucked <laughs> see I've, I've, I've we're going off topic a little bit but i very much um i enjoyed the undertaker kane sit down interview that they did together uh, but they showed a tiny you haven't seen that yet no 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 Oh, well, the show, it's not exactly a spoiler, but they show a tiny bit of footage of Kane um, or Glenn Jacobs in 1993. Lawler's in a cage, and it must have been against Brett. And um, there's just a masked goon bodyguard guy who is him, who's in the ring with him, and it was for a tryout. Um, yeah. oh, they could just release DVDs full of dark matches and tryouts and this rare footage, and I would buy every single bit of it. I probably would too. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, they need to do that. It's the same with like unpublished photographs and stuff like that. You know, they could have done various books, but they they need to say a website. I would pay a subscription to see mm-hmm. these unseen photographs, but um, I might be in the minority with that. Uh, but, uh, you, say, you say that, but I'll tell you what, man, you know as well as I do that the wrestling audience has whittled down now to where the, the majority of the ones who are left are like the hardest of the hardcores who will just, who will pay big money for something that they see value in. Like, you know, again, like just the, the amount of people 
pay for like going to WrestleMania and stuff like that. Now it's like crazy money gets spent by these, the, but you know, the, the remaining fan base who, who does want to spend money on WWE. It's like, I think that, like I said, there's a market for it. These rare little gems of history that people really want to see. It's like they, they would do well. Oh, they had the hidden gem section on the network and it was just, they've stopped updating it i mean it, it was almost like they literally crawled into my mind and thought right what does paul want to see and then they put out the full three hours of the body slam lex luger challenge and the full lex express <laughs> tour as well and i was just like i i got snacks i got drinks i did I'm get ready some, <laughs> i got some i did get some weed um and i sat through all that fucking shit because the, the thing is as well because it was the whole body slam challenge which is great and then it's kind of like 15 minutes at a time of like the bus, just a front view shot of the bus with nothing. And then it would be like Luger at a high school, you know, telling kids not to take drugs or whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's insane that they just, I mean, I love that they put that out there. I mean, I don't know if you saw, um, you, you, you know, the WrestleMania album of 93. Oh, of course. Oh, God, yeah. The, yeah. The, one of the greatest pieces of music ever committed <laughs> to, you know, plastic. But, um, the the start of uh, the WrestleMania single when the guy says, um, "Are you ready for the Survivor Series?" Yeah, yeah, and which turned out to be none other than Jimmy Garvin. Correct. Which yeah, blew, which I, my, I made videos. I was just like, I never do updates like this. This is like about as news work, like news as I get <laughs> when it comes to reporting news. Um, but I was just like, holy shit! Like out of all the random stuff, somehow. Like Stockache and the Waterman got hold of this dark footage with two nails matches on it, and you know thought, right, I know what we need. We need this guy in a massive bubble perm, you know, who oh, obviously connect with the going. kids. Because <laughs> the I thing is, I <laughs> well, I always knew about this. Um, it was always long rumored that Jimmy Garvin had a, a talk show segment on yeah. WF TV that never got aired, but I didn't know what it was or, you know, and then finally it, it aired and I was just like, Oh, I, I, I love that. I can still find out stuff like this. Like it, it's wonderful. That's um, it. That, that, that's what makes it. That's what makes it such an interesting thing to follow. Russ is like this, this PO, everybody has their, their period of nostalgia in, in this wonderful little industry. And it's like, you can today after every, cause there's so much that gets talked about so frequently and so commonly you know, there's so many kind of current talking points that every podcast talks about to death. But like you will get here and there those little nuggets that creep out. It's like, I didn't know that. Like, you know, like I remember we did you know, on our podcast. So it's like they were going to bring about pu- fucking Papa Shango in 1997. Yeah. Like, you, that, the original plan for The Undertaker's Secret was Papa Shango coming back to life or brought him back to life. That's the big secret, not Kane. It's like that would have been dog shit. <laughs> but like <laughs> you find it out. And then then like you know, more recently after you know, doing that, it's like. They showed the photos, didn't they, on like one of the documentaries of like the um, the, the prototype of what they wanted him to look like, mm-hmm. and it's like that's a eh? so they've got stuff like that knocking around. I, I interviewed. Um, we'll, we'll, I swear, we'll get onto the book for those listening. This is what happens with every interview I ever do, or any time I ever talk about wrestling to anyone, whether they want it or not. Kind of like the British Bulldog fan at SummerSlam, whether he wants to or not, you know, you will talk about. It. Um, I, I interviewed Tom Buchanan, who was like the the chief of photography for like about seventeen years in WWF, and I just got to ask him so much, including, I mean, he's not going to remember half of the shit that he's taking pictures of, but I asked him about the Papa Shango thing because it was rumored for a long time 
because um, he mentioned it on a shoot interview a, a good while back that he was going to be Kane. Um, and then I asked him about the, the Bret Hart Hogan tug of war with the title, that photo shoot that seems to have not made it out anywhere as well, but he, he just didn't know about that stuff, which was a, mm. which was sad. But Damn. when it came to, when it came to writing the book, um, the thing I had been told was that Pillman Jr. wasn't into the idea of the book. Is that true? Uh, if he said that, he certainly never said it to me. He never, he never said that. That was just the thing that I'd heard. Um, he certainly never said that to me either. It was just, what I mean, was the because I, I think it's he's spoken about it on interviews that him and his, uh, him and Melanie don't exactly get along because of various no, reasons. Um, did that create any kind of conflict of interest when it came to making the book? Not really. Like I said, Brian was was. I think the only trepidation Brian said, Brian did tell me when the book came out and he and he read it, and he was just like, "Man, this thing is unbelievable." And he's just like, "I," I think he told me at one point that like he'd learned more from the book. He learned more about his dad from the book that he than he knew. And it's like that's like that's cool. One, an incredible compliment and incredibly depressing at the same time. But like, but he did tell me in full honesty. He goes, "To be honest, when you first spoke to me and said you wanted to do the book." I just thought that, okay, well, what's this going to be? You know, this is probably just some dude, you know, who's just going to, you know, do some crappy little job. Because he, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know that I was a journalist, you know, a journalist separately. So, and, you know, and to the point afterwards where, like, on Jericho's show, he was like, you know, I think the reason the book was so good was because it was a journalist who actually, you know, took the care to do things that journalists do and not a fan who, you know, is just some guy who's decided to write a book. With having Melanie involved and with having brian jr involved and having so many different people involved did you end up coming across stories which contradicted each other like how much fact check fact checking did you have to do because obviously i mean reliable names in the industry etc but did you was it a case of taking them for their word or did you really have to dig a little deeper you dig as you dig as deep as you can and then if you can't dig any deeper and verify because the thing is a lot of the stories in the book are like accounts of people who are telling their story and so it's like okay this is a story that i was told so because i can't verify this i'm going to put it in but i'm going to put it in, in quotes and make it clear that this is this <laughs> this is this person's retelling of events um or again i would i would frame frame it in such a way cleverly where i say that okay this is what brian told this person and that's yeah. their that's their recollection of events um, so that was, you know, you verify as much as you can, as best as you can for the stuff that you can't, that you think is worthwhile because you do believe it's true. It's just a matter of, okay, well, this is where you put it in quotes because this is this person's recounting of events and really there's no one else to contradict it. So there wasn't a that's... ton of stuff. There wasn't a ton of stuff where one person said one thing and another person said, that's absolutely not true. With, with, with it being wrestling though, did you hear the same story from different people but like more exaggerated you know yes, Hogan body slamming yes, Andre over his head you know, all there, there was one person who I will not name because I don't want to insult them because they're a lovely person who told me a story that I could absolutely 100% prove was not true <laughs> and I didn't I didn't have the heart to tell them that I know that you're bullshitting me right now when you tell me this story but I did veer wide of telling that story in the book because I knew it wasn't true so so when it comes to people contradicting stuff that was in the book, obviously the the you know one of the big things that came out of it was Bischoff's uh, scathing review. <laughs> it's of the book. really the only thing. I mean, that's the thing that, that makes it so funny is that like it's just it's just. I mean, 
we can go on to this now if you want Eric's response. Well, I was going to say, like, noted, what a, noted what a... liar Eric Bischoff was the only person who had a problem <laughs> with the book. Well, this, and he didn't even read the thing, which is the thing that no. like, actually really did bother me, was like, you are basically, and this is the thing, at the time, and I, I was very I was very nice, I knew this, and I did not, I did not make it public. Now other people have made it public, so I don't give a shit. He was going through bankruptcy court at the time. He was filing for Chapter 11. He had no money. And basically his podcast was his money-making endeavor. That was That's what he had. And so because of that, around that time, that's where he's talking about Bret Hart's book and he's talking about Chris Jericho's book. And basically anybody that wrote anything about him that's remotely negative is a lie. It's full of shit. It's ridiculous. Melts is an arsehole, which is just the thing that he's, he's saying because he knows it's going to get attention. Yeah. You're ripping on Brett's book, Jericho's book too, you know, widely uh, you know, regarded in, in, in high esteem, so, you know, the highest esteem in many cases, criticizing these when it's like this, you know, the, the, there's just nothing to it. I, sp- I remember I, I spoke to Jericho about it, like he's trashing my book the same way he trashed yours. And Jericho was just like, yep, he's doing the exact same thing. Man, I can't believe he's fucking burying it. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, it's like I can. <laughs> like, as soon as they said they were going to talk about the book on the podcast, I knew, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Because the fact is, Bischoff doesn't like the book because, number one, the book doesn't portray him in the best light because he got worked by Brian, which is something he's still in denial about. And unfortunately, Bischoff is the type of guy, and I, I, I genuinely believe this, it's more important to him that people think he knows what he's doing than it is for him to actually know what he's doing because he's his entire, I mean, and he talks about it openly. It's not, this isn't a secret. He's basically a bullshitter who kind of flim flams his way as a salesman to like, you know, selling his little ninja stars game and stuff like that, which doesn't make it. And then he gets to the AWA and the you know, Vince you know, doesn't give him a chance and shit cans him. And he kind of, get a chance somehow as a WCW announcer and basically he writes a phony resume to get the, the job in 93 gets Jason Herbie to, to write in and say that uh, oh yeah he's wanted for a game show so you know he's 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 hot property when basically you know it's just his friend writing writing some bullshit for him to help him get a job <laughs> which is fine I, I appreciate the hustle but that's what he's a hustler and the yeah. and the one thing that is is key with hustlers and this is the thing what made it so profoundly interesting to me that Bischoff took such a hard stance was that if he'd actually read the book, which I know he didn't, he told me outright that he didn't, face to face when I met him. Wow. Um, when was like, that? It was at Starcast in Las Vegas. Did he know? Did you have to introduce yourself and say? I who sure you did. I uh, sure did. I, I I bumped into him next to the elevator, and he gave me the that classic phony shit-eating smile and stuck his hand out because he knew that I recognised him. And I shook his hand and I held his hand and I said, "I hope you like difficult." rides in the elevator because this is probably going to be one and he gets uh, in he kind of looks at me quizzically and as soon as the door closes i just say i'm the guy whose book you buried on your show about brian pillman and he kind of was caught off guard and basically said oh well and i said well you didn't read it and he goes well i've I read enough i said you didn't read it yeah. i've I read enough he kept repeating the same thing i read enough and it's like you didn't read anything conrad sent you notes that probably didn't have any context to them because how can they you're not you're not reading the book you're just reading notes and, and stuff that's completely I kind of, I gave an example of a story in the book that he hates which is you and you'll get to it because I know that you're working on the book right now but there's a story in the book when Kim Wood was talking to Brian Pillman around Kim Wood's kitchen table and they're talking about how are we going to get Brian Pillman a big new contract in 1996 because at that time he's in the horseman but not doing anything with him so his yeah. values like they're expecting and, and they, he's losing on television to people still quite frequently they're not pushing him really he's just in the horseman 
So they're like, okay, we need to figure this thing out because you need to go into this contract harder than hell. You're 33 years old. You need you need to start getting big money contracts if you want to. You know, he's got five kids. And so Brian told Kim Wood a story about how when wrestlers would go to negotiate with Eric, Eric would Eric had like pictures of himself as a kickboxer on his walls of his office. And he would take his false teeth out and put them on a plate before they started talking as if to, and crack his knuckles as if to indicate that he was a tough guy or something like that. And this is just what, and, and this is in Kim Wood's words. This is what Brian told him. And in the book, I outright say Brian told Kim that da, 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 everything I've just told you when Eric negotiates, he does this kind of tough guy routine and Kim Wood, in response to Brian, he says, said, well, if he's a, if, if he's a mark for himself, then we can fuck with him. Because the the when someone is outwardly telling you that they're a tough guy, they are waving a red flag that they can be fucked with. And that was the, the impetus for the loose cannon was that he, that means he's a mark for himself. If he's a mark for himself, then if you give him the opportunity to play master manipulator, if you give him the ability to act like he is the king of a situation and smarter than the boys, he'll take it regardless of what the reality is, which is that Brian Pillman is becoming incredibly marketable, right? His contract is coming up as a result of all of this. So, and, and, and Bishop was like that story. And, and I'm in the lift with him because you see, that's what that, that's the story. I didn't like that was just bullshit. I said, Eric, I never even said that story was true. I just said, that's what Brian told Kim. And that's what it says in the book. If you'd have bothered to read the fucking thing, you'd realize for yourself <laughs> that I am not claiming this. And he's like, Oh, you know, at one point I think he says that it's poorly written on the podcast. And it's like, First of all, you didn't even read it to know how well it was written or not. So I can't even take that seriously. But that's a great example of you're taking offense to something irrespective of how it was written. You haven't even read how it was written to know that the context is is so critical to stuff like this. It's like, I don't know that that's the truth. I wasn't there, but I don't say that it was true. I say that's what Brian told Kim. And he really didn't have anything to say to that. And when I kind of was finished telling him, he goes, yeah, I see what you're saying. Man, this convention. Wow. And he goes, I see what you're saying. Man, this convention's a really big deal, huh? Just to change the subject, to change the subject completely. And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, he didn't like the uh, death of WCW book as well. um, He didn't even know who wrote that for the longest time either. Like, again, he's, (laughs) it's because anything, and again, uh, this is not, I understand the deal with Eric. So it's like, I'm not actually, it's not something that I'm like pissed off all these years later because I'm not, it's just that it, it, this is his deal. This is what he does. It's like, he doesn't, his memory is horrible. That's so what the, the the comedy of that podcast with Conrad was that he's like his memory is absolutely shot, but he, he all he knows is that everything that I wrote has to be completely wrong, but he can't remember what did happen either. So there you go, you know it's like well fuck, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, you know I had to sort of bury myself a little bit and say that I hadn't read the full thing yet, but I'm also not going to jump to conclusions about the book as well because you know. Hey, that's it, uh, man. Honestly, is key though. You got to say that stuff if it comes back to bite you. You don't want that. No, that is true. I know, but it's it's um you know it's wonderful and it, it it from all the reviews that I've read and from the research that I did into yourself and in the book as well and from you know uh, Mark Fox, uh, one of my co-hosts, talking about it as well. You know, it just <laughs> it's just held in such high regard by wrestlers and fans alike, and I wouldn't think that anyone who listened to Bish I think people who listen to Bischoff listen for like say the entertaining stories but I think they know that he's kind of full of shit when, yeah I mean you know, I, I don't think it actually really made a difference at all it was just I mean, if anything I guess it made people more aware of, yeah. of the books it's like yeah well I'll, I'll take that 
but um, then you publicity these good publicity and that's all that what they say but again there, there is that part of me <laughs> that i couldn't help like i you if you had any idea how much this was researched there's no way it's like and that's the thing it's like it means more to me when kim wood who knew brian for years and years and years and years and years was his father figure wrote me an email saying of anything that's ever covered brian pillman your book catches that little bastard the best <laughs> those were his words and i will that to me is the biggest sign of victory you could possibly get Meltzer raving about it uh alex marvez too you know, gave me very high praise for the book and those three were like yeah mike johnson too but like all these all these guys who knew the story and knew brian saying that it was it was dead on accurate that meant yep. more to me and whether you agree with and i don't agree with everything Meltzer says you know by far but i respect how you know respected he is within you know the wrestling industry and amongst you know fans as well he is not easy to please and no. um you and know he would, have, fact- he would have been more prone to bury it if it was a piece of crap because he would have known the story and he would have known what a disappointment it was you know what i mean in some ways he probably i wouldn't be surprised if you kind of wanted it to be crap because then he could pick out all the flaws and it would make good it would make content for his newsletter <laughs> possibly you know, but- and you know what and if it, and if it was a piece of garbage then i would and that's the thing it's like i'm i'm i was comfortable enough knowing how good it was yeah. The things, when you're writing this is the weird thing about a book i'd be interested to see what other authors have said if they've said this to you too when you're actually putting the book together it's only when you actually start kind of reading it back that you're like yeah yeah the flow of this book is really because the things i didn't write it from start to finish i wrote sections you know, various sections as i was working on them so it's like when you see it all together it's like, you know what i think this book is actually pretty good <laughs> like and so like it was actually pretty late in the game and i was like yeah this definitely needs to go to, to be seen by people because by that point i had the faith that it was going to be good but um i probably wouldn't have released it if i had doubts about it so when and again th- th- that's it the fact that like eric is the only one to really criticize it in any way it's like well i don't really uh, to be honest that probably means it's a good thing <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> so um what wrestling books do you hold in the highest uh regard i'll tell you some of mine but please tell me some of yours first all right well let's, let's do let's, let's go back and forth here let's name one at a time one each how about this we'll go back and forth uh i'll go bret hart's book first and foremost i love brett's autobiography because the record keeping is greatly appreciated from a detail freak um the fact that he actually required again he said the thing about i love about brett's book is that, like you really understand and this is why i always like grade a great book do you understand more about what why the people are the way they are and like in brett's book it's like he doesn't hesitate to put himself over when he believes it because he genuinely believes it and he wouldn't have been bret hart if he didn't believe it but the same honesty that you know allows him to rip on people kind of mercilessly like (laughs) at points in that book is the same honesty that he allows to make himself look not that good when he's talking about his home life and his womanizing and stuff like that it's like you can't really ask more from a book than to be completely honest and to be and even if that that honesty means you're, you're talking about yourself as if you believe you are the greatest of all time you believe that and that's what makes you great because if he didn't believe he was that good he probably wouldn't have been as good as he was that is true he was my first ever favorite wrestler as well and uh, oh, still awesome. yeah, i'm going to show you some cool bret hart shit <laughs> after this interview Please do. um yeah when I, um he did a he did a sign signing for the book um 
and you know, I I didn't wait for the UK version to come out. I bought the American, which has a much nicer cover as well. I yes, I did the same thing. The uh, the black and white cover, all black and white with Hitman in gold. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, That's it looks lovely. great. Um, so it, it has a funny story from it. Um, that the, the huge queue for Bret Hart, and uh, there was this girl in the queue who had a um, you weren't allowed to get anything else signed apart from the uh, the book. But I did bring a pair of Bret Hart shades because I was like, well why not you never know uh, and Jensen. this girl mm-hmm, and this girl had a um she had a world heavyweight title like a raw world heavyweight title like the big gold sort of thing mm. but i think but it had own heart's name on it but it had been signed by such random people like cody rhodes when he was with wwe and kelly kelly and people like that <laughs> and um she got to the front of the queue and the security saw the belt and they were like no you're not gonna you know be able to get that signed because that's ridiculous and uh, then she started like really sort of complaining loudly enough so Brett could hear because she said it was like a tribute for own which was like absolute bullshit she just wanted to be center of attention and get the belt signed and Brett was just like right bring it in there you go and she went up and down the line and she was showing it off to everyone no one cared and um you know and i asked her oh do you think you would sign Brett Hart, uh, the, the shades or whatever and she was like oh no this is a one-off you know you will never do that and um i was just like all right go away <laughs> from me now <laughs> like i don't care um so luckily you know security guards don't know what the hell bret hart pink sunglasses are um so i just wore them into the store and he was uh, you know i don't i've interviewed enough wrestlers now that you know it's really exciting for me but i don't kind of legitimately almost shit myself or start shaking with anticipation or excitement <laughs> stuff like that um i did for todd pettingill because i'm such a huge fan of todd pettingill um <laughs> I'm not, I'm not joking about that either. Um, so <laughs> I'm walking over to Brett and I'm like, do you know, like the kid on the advert? Hey, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of like that. And I was, I was kind of like, oh. and then he was like, do you want me to sign them for you? And I was like, after I removed the shit from my underpants, I was just like, <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and I was going to ask him to put them on my head. Uh, <laughs> get that on camera, but now nah, I thought that was, I thought that was maybe a step too far, but um, anyway, yes. Yeah, so the, a little the Brett cheeky, Harper, maybe. <laughs> but it's funny though because you talk about like stuff like which is first of all how yeah you know, he's just he's a fucking cool guy with stuff like that anyway but like i remember i took it to america uh and i had it in my hand luggage and of course for some reason we got me and my my now wife got kind of pulled aside for the random bag check and the the dude pulled out the bret hart book and he just he goes oh bret hart like he immediately knew and he was like that's cool Cause again these like these these they have to be like super serious and like you know, they're kind of straight faced. Like you can't to the point where you kind of feel intimidated if they pull you aside, like they did with me. And it's like, oh god, they're gonna check my bag for drugs, and they're gonna think that I'm some kind of, you know, I don't know. But they're, they're looking at me all stern. And he pulls the Brett book out. And it's like, oh, cool, Brett Hart. You know, that's, so you know, yeah, 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 yeah it's a good bit of reach. Yeah, you, you took a bit of a risk, uh, weight wise, luggage wise, with that tome. I know. <laughs> I know. That's a murder weapon. That book. Um... <laughs> But one of my favorite books of all time is the Gary Capetta biography. You know, I've never read that. Oh, if you want a complete inside of view of WWF, WWF in the 70s to early Hulkamania era. And then he he worked legitimately because he was a freelancer at that point for WWF, NWA and AWA at the same time. Mm. Um, so he talks about that. And then he obviously talks about everything with WCW and stuff like that. But in terms of detail um for a time period that doesn't really get covered in that great depth in print um i would highly recommend the gary capetta book uh yeah, fo- 
Foley's first is obviously is is a benchmark just because it's 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 the one that everything else gets compared to. Uh, but rightfully so, I read it back not that long ago, and it actually holds up pretty well. Um, again, you just, you just the the insight of the mentality of what makes these guys what they are is like it kind of comes through, kind of reading between the lines, and, and it kind of especially stands out with Foley like that kind of desire to succeed, but kind of be acknowledged for his success at the same time, and it's like it's really it's really quite telling. Because again, he's like he just comes out like such a great human being anyway um, in that book. Uh, and obviously, you know, I know that it's funny because, like, on some of the forums that you go on, like, there's always like a mixed opinion on Foley, and like, you know, how sincere he is and stuff like that. But it's just like that—that's the best. Nate, that's like the. Um, how am I going to word this? You know how like uh, this is a horrible comparison. <laughs> this is an absolutely god awful comparison. You know when the Benoit DVD came out. And like mm-hmm. everybody was so excited for Benoit because he'd won the world title and like he comes off like such a great guy in the DVD. It's like, okay, so during this period of time, that DVD encapsulates how everybody felt about him in that it's kind of like a time capsule thing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And Foley's the the goodwill Foley had at the time, it comes through completely why in that book, uh, released in nineteen ninety nine. It's just like I I think it's brilliant. It's such a great book. there's for me, there's a nostalgia now of reading that book from my life as well mm. that like during that age of buying it because I, I just thought it was so cool that this just never happened in the uk that you could buy something that was featured on tv a lot yeah. as well and I, I found that to be really cool um and later on uh, i don't know how i ended up with this but i ended up with a signed version of the book but it was from the wwe auction site at the time um mm. so it comes with a, a coa from linda mcmahon <laughs> <laughs> um, which to be honest is probably worth more than the book if i ever decided Maybe. to decide to sell but yeah it's a wonderful but I've got, I've got the audio um cassette of that book as well um oh, no yeah way. very very much enjoy that um okay so um oh we should do a full show on books i think that'd be quite fun but um okay i'm gonna throw a curveball here the um the WrestleMania, the history of WrestleMania book that came out in 2000 by Basil DeVito. Oh yeah, the the one that came with the DVD of yeah. like the um the best Mania moment. It, it was done kind of in documentary form, and it it also um, served as the bonus disc to WrestleMania 2000 when it came out as well. Um, for me, it is the best book for an insider's look at WrestleMania. It's so honest compared to like the 30 years of mania book that came out eventually which is kind of like a puff piece advertising how Mm. great mania is um but this i learned so much about all the different wrestlemanias and and uh, again as a huge wrestlemania 9 fan the stories about you know um caesar's palace just going oh because there are kind of a destination like tourist destination so they need big names for wrestlemania so they're like so is hogan gonna be in the main event and they're like no he's not even on the show and um then they were like oh he's gonna be on the show and they say like, yeah we knew it all the time yeah he's gonna win the belt at the end isn't he and it's like, no he's not even in the title match and you know i didn't you know how it went um but i would highly highly recommend that book and it's got really cool memorabilia in there and some rare pictures that haven't really seen the light of day since then as well but uh yeah that would be my number two I remember the Foley, yeah, it's like that, that was an that's an interesting one because I remember that was that released. I'm trying to remember if I saw that in Waterstones at the time because I remember it blew my mind when I saw Foley's in the, in the shop, but I don't think I ever saw that WrestleMania one. 
I know there were there were two versions of it. There was one that came without the DVD a little bit later mm. on. Um, okay. and but I I don't I, the first time I ever saw it was in my school library. <laughs> okay, I saw it in my school library and I stole it and pretended I lost it, so I just paid for it. Oh, brilliant um, work. Oh, I did that a few times with some really cool books. But I paid for it, you know what I mean? But like, I just pretended that they just got lost or whatever. Yeah, um, of course. I do what I do. <laughs> um, okay, so we're doing five. So what, what would your number three be? Uh, I'll go with Terry Funk's book. I'm a, yes. I, I like Terry Funk's book a lot. I think it's actually quite an underrated book. Um, again, partly because at the time I read it, I was, again, wrestling locally and stuff like that. So like, I looked at it through the eyes of a wrestler and I really love Funk's section talking about promos and the board his concept of borderlining um and basically like how he thinks of promos in his mind and just again I, i'm fascinated with promos and hype in wrestling that's like that's one of the main things i actually adore about pro wrestling is when it hypes something really well and obviously promos are completely pivotal to that so terry funk get the chance to kind of talk about promos and obviously talking about his entire career which is just crazy and fun and awesome stories all the way through um but I just I, I love that part where he's talking about borderlining. That's just so interesting to me. The idea of like you've got to say things that are as close to, and it's not necessarily being about do you know, a shoot promo, but it's the idea of you got to say things that are universally understood and hard hitting enough that people will say, you know what, that's pretty insulting. That's pretty <laughs> like that's pretty, you know. We see a lot of talk on wrestling, but that really feels like how can you not be bothered by that? And it's like, it's so, and if you watch Terry Funk's career, it's like he lived by that credo. And I, I think that's just such an interesting thing. But yeah, Terry yeah. Funk's book gets a nod. And I got a signed copy of it too, so that's cool. Okay, so my number three, and these aren't in, like, and I know that I'm probably going to get killed because of some authors like Kenny Casanova, who I've interviewed, who has written some wonderful books of Danny Davis. And the Brutus Beefcake book's great as well. Um, For detail and stuff, you know, you can't go wrong with any of Kenny's. Uh, releases with Vader and Kamala and stuff like that, but mm. um, the the one that kind of took me by, by surprise because it was a WWE release was the Regal biography. Um, yes, that's very good. I was going to put that on my list. They really give him um, free reign to kind of uh, do what he wants. I mean, I, I can't remember if you wrote that with Keith Elliott Greenberg. Um, I don't think it was because Greenberg did the Flair one, the Blassy one. Um, he may not have done the Regal one, but yeah, no the the honesty that he goes into and and yeah, obviously being a Brit and everything, you have a, you know, a, an attachment to Regal and you care about him more as well. And especially with all the shit that he went through. Well, yeah. When um, he talks about the drug stuff so openly, that's like, the, the, like I love, again, it's like, because the guys who talk about that subject are never usually that open. I can't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, who the hell was it that did it with him? It was something Chandler, but I can't remember his name. We could, we could probably Google it and find out, but it was somebody else anyway. But it, whoever it was did a great job. The only thing that I, I, as a criticism of the book, is that I really wish that it was twice the length because it was so damn good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you can tell that he's got so many great stories and so much knowledge that you just want to like bask in it. That's the thing with Funk too. It's like you just want to bask in the knowledge for longer. So yeah, that's, that's a, you know, Regal's book is tremendous though. Mm. So would he be your free number three as he, well he he would have yeah we've got a joint number three i go regal's book okay uh so my number four would be the Stu hart biography oh okay um i felt it it, it completely took me by surprise I, I, I remember buying it as part of a collection and um the fact that Stu helped with it um because uh, the thing is 
I, and I know because you have written the Pillman book, etc. But I, I think Foley set the bar so high as the first wrestling biography I ever read, and he wrote mm. it himself. Um, that went that it would get to the point where you know, and, and I love Harley Race and Arn Anderson, and um, you know, I'm I'm a fan Heenan. of Jimmy Snooker. I, actually, the second Heenan one is one of my top. <laughs> I'm more thinking the first one. The first one that he did was was kind of just like it, it was released and it kind of just like went under the radar. It seemed like it did. It really did. Well, the thing is, I kind of and it sounds awful, but if there were such egregious mistakes or lots of um, pointless explanation of things that obviously the wrestler had no involvement mm. in, it was just to fill up the book. I kind of put the book down, um, yeah. and uh, you know, with the Jimmy Snooker book, um, and, and I'm. I shouldn't mention too many names because I'll bury myself if I get them as a guest. But, <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the first DBRC one, oh, the, sorry, it was the second one, wasn't it? Because his first one was non-WWE, then he did the WWE one, I believe. Um, yeah. And it was there was just a thing of, uh, I was in Roy Rumble 1989. Roy Rumble is a 16-man tournament where the winner becomes king of the ring. And it, it was literally oh, that bad. No. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the Stu Hart book, though, in terms of really transporting you to a, a, a just an atmosphere, because when he talks about like you know when he was growing up, sleeping, you know, uh, not rough but sort of intense in the Calgary weather and everything, it just oh, kind God, of really yeah. transports you to that sort of um, you know you, you are there when you're reading it and i don't think it gets much better than that that's why i love the freddie blassie book as well um because in, in that really is it, it, they were kind of polar opposites in the sense that stew was kind of in the cold of the calgary weather and blassie was out in la and yeah, he's in california like, loving it yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I, so I, yeah the stew book and for its brutal honesty as well and um and obviously going into all the tragedies that happened and everything. Cause you know, that came out, I mean, it came out not long before he died. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Stu Hart book and I would recommend it to everyone. Yeah. That's a good call. That's a good call. I, I do like that one a lot. I think that, um, I actually just realized I've cheated here because I've actually already got three. <laughs> so I had Brett Foley and funk and then obviously Regal. I'm going to, I'm going to disqualify Regal since you picked him and go death of WCW. Okay. Because I think that's a great book. Actually, the re-release version is even better. But like, I, I really enjoy it because I think, and this has become more apparent to me ever since. I, have you read the the, uh, the Nitro book? I have not. I've read different WCW and I loved it. I haven't read the 10th anniversary. Yeah, the 10th um, anniversary version is really good. Yeah. Um, there are bits and I mean, there are bits and pieces in the Death of WCW that are like very much of its time in terms of like that kind of the smarky the smarky commentary from RD. Yeah. Um, which at the time was like perfectly in keeping with the times and everybody thought it was hilarious and it's still great. I think that book is so good. Um, I'm not going to say too much about the Nitro book if you haven't read it, um, but I will just say that I think the Death of WCW book is the superior version of, of retelling the story. So I just, I, I, I love that book. I think it's tremendous. There was the joke that um, you could just put the TNA logo over WCW and just re-release it. <laughs> nah, you have to get out the part where they made money first. <laughs> Ooh, you're such a bitch. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a, you know, I understand the gag, but it's like, God, you know, when you think about it, it's like, it really should have been. It could have, you know, it's like, when you think about like everything they had, not to go off on a complete other tangent, when you yeah. think about like everything they actually had at their disposal, 
isn't it fucking tragic they never made any money <laughs> it really is tragic <laughs> It's this is why because this is why it's too hard because it's a crime to leave out Jericho's first book. It is, and, it is. Um, it's you know there's oh, there's other books that I look. I mean, this it's a crime to leave out Dynamite's book and all that kind of yep. stuff. Um, so, but uh, number five, um, oh, I have to just go with the second the second Heenan book. Um, okay. I just found it hugely entertaining and that it was written in the style of a self help book. Which, um, you know, but there was a lot of honesty in there as well because he talks about his cancer and everything. And, um, you know, uh, it's one of those that Bobby Heenan did a uh, did a convention in Wales, like maybe a year before he died. And I didn't go. And I was just like, oh, like it, there's not many people that are kind of, you know, I don't really do the convention thing, which is partly why I started a podcast. So I could get to talk to wrestlers about him. <laughs> And the page, but yeah. No, no, not that. It's more the traveling thousands of miles or hundreds of miles, or you know. Um, and and, and for me, dresses. it would be about the paying, don't we? Okay, then I'll say it as well. Then I didn't want to bury myself. Um, no, no, it's it's an outrage. <laughs> it's how they make the money. So I got nothing against it, but it's just like if you want to be seen as a peer, you can't do that. That is true. That is true. And I, I am a, very much a a, a fan who. Uh, constantly gets mocked for the amount of uh giant gonzalez uh merchandise that i have etc you know but i'm fine with that um so yeah no number five would be the bobby heenan book and that is i mean that's a hard it is a hard choice to just narrow it down to five it's really hard i, I, I probably because i was thinking um, like I, shit out there. <laughs> I was i was like really i was struggling i'm like god there's like there's like five books that i want to put in my final slot and i can't but uh Maybe the Eddie Guerrero book will take it. I do like the Eddie book a lot, um, which was released just after he died. It would been, he's working on it before he died. Um, I didn't and, know that. Yeah, I didn't was, know that he had a hand in it. Like, it, it. It was it was just like any other book. Like they they did you know um, the the interviews with the ghostwriters and stuff like that. It was all like just a normal book. And then he died right before it was going to get released. And so they did like a they did a reprint I think where like Vince did like put one page at the front saying this was done before. And this will yeah. be his thoughts at the time. And we're not going to, I can't remember if he said he wasn't going to edit anything or anything like that, but it was just like, this is the book as it was meant to be Viva La Rasa or something like that. Um, right. So, but that book's really good. Cause again, it's in, in that regal vein of being completely honest about, you know, the problems uh, that he was having at the time, which were, you know, pretty severe. But then, like you say, like Jericho's first book, um, the Andre book that's come out recently. The new one. Yeah. Bertrand yeah, Ebert. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bertrand Ebert and, and Pat Laprade's great book on Andre that I'm looking forward to. I, Pain and Passion, the Stampede book by, um, oh God, Heath McCoy. That's great. That's a great book. If you're interested in the territories, uh, Wrestling at the Chase with, by Larry Matzik is a really good book. Uh, the two tributes books by Meltzer are probably ones that I'd put up there as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, my friend Michael, who has like all of the Observer newsletters, um, and he showed me the tributes books as well. And uh, yeah, no, they're, they're beautifully written. Um, the Wrestling at the Chase book, I do love. I'm trying to get more of the territory books as well. The uh, And I'm terrible for mispronouncing, which is why I don't do it too much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I interviewed him about the, uh, the the Patterson book, which which is another one. Um, uh, highly recommended. Um, I was disappointed by that, actually, the Patterson book. Yeah? I, I Yeah, again, because like, you know... If you know his history and you know like how much he has to talk about and how little actually really made it to that book, it's really quite a shame because it's like that could have been like an all time Pat Patterson, 
the guy who's like Vince's right hand man throughout that whole period of time, like the stories he has and the memories he has as a worker, you know, in San Francisco and stuff like that. He's, he was so awesome. And it's like, when you're working with Ray Stevens and everything. It's like, this guy should have had the, honestly one of the best three books of all time. And I think it's just like, it ended up being like just a good book. I'm, I'm surprised that WWE released it. I, I just assumed that it wasn't going to be WWE uh, release book although mm. you know he's under a legend contract and everything and obviously the the coming out thing officially was a big deal and obviously they're going to try and market it to make themselves look tolerant <laughs> which, yeah the, be- the which best the best kept secret that was yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> um so and but i i did like the book and i do agree that it could have been more and i haven't read the andre book the new one um but i mean it's it's had nothing but rave reviews and has been already called one of the greatest wrestling books ever. And they can't, you know, it wouldn't be hard to be better than the WWE released one in like 2005. Yeah, that was um, wrong. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that was the thing with the WWE books that they got so shit um, <laughs> as, as a whole. <laughs> and they did the, un- oh, I bought, I, right. No, I must've been given it. There's no way I would have bought it. The unauthorized biography of Kane. Um, oh, what? Who bribed you into buying that? <laughs> what did I, I didn't buy it. Come on, I've got some standards. Yeah, mm. um, it may not look like it when you see all the shit that I've got in my room, but like I do actually, you know, reasonably picky with what I buy. So the thing is, I heard Paul, I heard uh, Percy Pringle talk about it on a shoot interview, and he was like, the first line on the first page was about Katie Vick, so he threw it in the fire, <laughs> which is quite apt. Um, and the th- I ended up with a copy and Kane was doing a signing at like a WH Smith and I got him to sign it and I told him it was like the sh- biggest piece of shit I ever read and he just gave me the Kane. <laughs> he gave me like the Kane look, but he must know. I mean, come on. <laughs> By the way, this book that you're signing right now, it's fucking garbage. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I think I gave it to someone. And that's like a Kane signed thing as well, but like, you know, whatever. Um, and I mean, when they started doing stuff like the DX biography and um, yeah, oh, there was the Ric Flair Charlotte book as well, which I, I didn't even bother picking up. Because I mean, and I love Keith Elliott Greenberg and he did an amazing job with the Blasty book and he's such a yeah. noted historian, but the Flair biography just wasn't what it could have been. Um, yeah, that that was a tough one because that had such a high stand in his career was so long that it needed to be like Brett's book, and yeah. like they were never going to do that. So it's like because the, yeah, the the story of that was that Mark Madden wrote the first that was working on it at first, right? And it ended up getting switched to Keith or I the other way around. I can't remember which way. Around it was. Oh, Keith ended up uh, writing it. Yeah, he ended up writing it, but I, be- I believe that Madden was the guy that was working on Flair with the book for the longest time, and then Keith took over. Is the story that I'd always heard. Wow. So. It was, again, that's kind of a little bit, not necessarily problematic, but it's like, it probably should have been, I don't know, it's it's tough because it's like, I always think that biogra- autobiographies are all, always going to be hamstrung by the fact that guys don't write them themselves. You know, like those are the ones that are like good, but not great most of the time um, is, is when the guys don't do, don't put pen to paper themselves. I've, I but, think, sorry. No, I was going to say, I don't want to bogart your your show because this is your show. But <laughs> if I may ask a question to you, my mm. good man, go for give it. Me your, give me your, give me your uh, three worst. Oh, right. Okay. I, f- I feel awful about, in terms of the amount of time I committed to reading the whole thing, because if I put a book down, I don't rate it. Like if I'm just like, you know, five minutes into it or whatever. Um, but I have to say the flare book is 
up there wow. for the for the expectations um that I had of it. Um and it's very much a book of its time, but it doesn't stand the test of time as something that you could pick up now because you know, he he you could tell he couldn't wait to get to the Foley receipt. Mm, yeah. Rick Flair's book shouldn't be about that. Oh, I mean, okay, yeah, no, he's just like off Jim Hurd and everything as well. And you know, um, I, I, God, just to get off topic again slightly, have you seen that there's a new Jim Hurd interview? I've, I've I've seen that it's happening. I've not watched it. I, I, I mean, they want a shitload of money for it because uh, it's like a pay per view kind of thing. It's like twenty five quid, and I'm just like, ah. Uh, but just people didn't even always... pay that for his pay per views in 1991. <laughs> It always fascinates me, though, when you haven't seen someone for, like, 30 years and then your mind's fucking just blown. Because he's 85 now. Yeah, like, but, uh, but the thing is, he has the the, the feel of um, someone who definitely has a gun on him at all times. Um, and he probably had a good drink before he started doing the interview. Because um, oh, okay. he, he comes across as, like, sort of timely, nice old man because he's 85. Yeah. Uh, but he's still Jim Hurd. <laughs> you know, and when you get him talking, because there's just little clips here and there, and it's with Conrad Thompson. I'm just like, that's amazing. Like, I would love to interview Jim Hurd to be the person who got that Jim Hurd interview, whether it's full of shit or not. Um, it's the same with Tom Zenk. Like, I was, you know. Oh, Z Man. What a legend he was. Did you reach out to Tom? I did. I did. I, I did you get a react did you get a reply oh. not not when it was going to be on the record it was a uh, there'd been there'd been little bits and pieces of conversation with the z man over the years but i never i didn't get to interview him for the book <laughs> that's the thing the only pictures that have come out of him were his mugshots the mugshots yeah he'd had he'd had a rough time he'd had a rough time he had and he also had no eyebrows and it kind of just didn't look like him and then the uh, the picture that came out when he sadly passed away was on his funeral um i don't want to call it a brochure um <laughs> <laughs> i know what you mean the little pamphlet they give you pamphlet, yeah. <laughs> the brochure. at 10 o'clock we will have the funeral at 12 o'clock we will have the buffet <laughs> <laughs> enjoy the water slide it opens at 12 <laughs> Oh my god! Right. Anyway, yeah. But there's a picture of him on the front, and he's smiling on it, and he looks like as you know, it was a recent picture, but you could tell that it was Tom Zenk, and at least he was happy and smiling and all that kind of thing. But I don't know if he would have wanted that. I always find that there's a reason why people don't want themselves to be out there if they were like well known in the past or whatever. Uh, um, because Z-Man was that he'd he'd had some uh, he he vanished off the grid quite suddenly. If yeah. you remember in 2000, he, he was doing like some awesome interviews on Iyada with Dave Meltzer yeah. in 2000, 2001. And then uh, very, very sharp. And he had his own website and everything like that. And then very sharply, he just kind of vanished off the grid. Uh, what, what, were there new pictures of him at that time, though? I don't remember seeing pictures of him. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, again, I, similar to you, I remember the mugshots was like, wow. Because then again, the stuff that he was arrested for was not exactly the best stuff in the world either. So that's like... Clearly, there have been some drug problems and, uh, and 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 some bad stuff that happened, which is a shame. That's true. Uh, but yeah, no, sorry, three worst books. Because <laughs> again, I'm, uh, I'm bang on far too much. Um, we've got to just look at biographies here because, you know, I could go on about uh, various WWE releases at great length. Um, but oh, I don't know. I've got to put Flair up there for disappointing um, 
a disappointing read. Same with Tito Santana's, I've got to say. Um, oh, his, first book, his first book. Um, it was more. It. it was more like a pamphlet than a book, put it that way. Yeah. But um, I think he's realised that as well, which is why there's a new release with Kenny Casanova, um, which I'm sure goes into all the detail that you could possibly want. Um, and third, oh, I really don't know. I would have to look at like what books I have offhand as well. Um, Mm. Again, because I, I know this is a podcast and this is kind of live air at this point, so I don't want to spend five minutes going. Mm, I wonder. Mm. Um, what are your three? Okay, this this is pretty straightforward. Hulk Hogan, of course. China, <laughs> China's book, and yeah. and sadly, The Rock. Okay, how could I have left those out? Those winners. <laughs> those books were so absolutely putrid that I, I. Although it does, it does bring a smile to my face when I think about Hogan's book because I was in Waterstones, I believe, and I had the choice of buying the Hogan book and the Jerry Lawler book, and I had them side by side, one in each hand, and I was weighing up what to to buy. And I can't remember how old I would have been at this point, but my dad came walking up behind me, looked at the Hogan book, and said, "You don't want to read what that wanker has to say." <laughs> it made my decision for me years later so i know that it's trash oh it's it's bad and i mean the um the second hogan book about his personal life is no better um uh, definitely not worth reading but the lawler book was a disappointment as well because it's again it's jerry lawler and yeah, do i re- do i really need a full chapter on him you know talking about the cat you know finding out that you had an affair yeah. yeah, I mean, it's almost as if they thought that's what was going to sell the book, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, th- th- this is what people are going to be talking about. It was, like, very gossipy-minded. It was like they, they hadn't come to terms with the fact that people actually wanted to read about these guys' careers. So it's like it had to be, there had to be an element of tabloid sleaze in there somewhere. So, like, we'll write the, we'll write the Rock's book half in character, which was just an absolutely god-awful decision. Yeah. China's was just an abomination with everyone's name China's, spelled. China's was worth reading for the No Mercy chapter with Jeff Jarrett, I thought. Yeah, but it's the, the the credibility is so damaged like throughout the rest of the book that it's just like I don't even it's like I came away from this book thinking I really don't like this person at all. <laughs> like <laughs> not a ideal thing to have when you've read someone's book. Angry person who Oh, you know what? As well, before before we do wrap up and we talk about the book a little bit more, um the fabulous Muller book, um, which is it's smaller than all the other books in terms of like actual height. Whip, so mm. it looks silly on a bookshelf of all the WWE books, and you know, for someone with her life and career, obviously she doesn't go into any of the you know controversies that ended up coming out about her. Um, but she kind of writes it partly kayfabe as well, which kind of uh, d- demolishes any kind of uh, credibility with mm. the book. Um, and yeah, no, the uh, the Muller book and. Uh, I'm a fan of the wrestler, the fabulous Mula, the character, what she did in the ring. Obviously, awful person outside of it. And I've interviewed Princess Victoria and a, a few others who were uh, Mad Maxine, who trained under Mula. Uh, Mad Maxine's got a new book out as well. Highly recommend yes, it. Yes, I heard about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, hers is more of a novel based on her life because she doesn't want to use her name directly and all. It's the Chronicles yeah. of Mad Maxine, but she kind of makes up a character and puts it in that position. Uh, you know, um, Working for a, uh, a, a 
black newspaper and infiltrating the KKK and all that kind of stuff. Like she's had a life, um, oh. you know, and it's, it's you know, it's going to be well worth a read. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, the Mueller book was disappointing for what it could have been from someone like her. Um, but I, I guess, um, you know, if someone were to write it, um, but yes. Um, so yeah, well, we should definitely do a part two, I think. Uh, but the, uh, and I always say that and then I get them to agree on end and there's kind of like a verbal contract, you see. Ah, um, gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, Crazy Like Fox, the definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman 20 years later. Where is it available at the moment? Where can they get it directly from you and not secondhand so you can get some of that sweet, sweet cash? Best best way to do it. I do have, you know what, I've got like a ruckload of copies of my house that I should put on sale. Um, but I, you know what, I just, for whatever reason, I just like, I never get around to it. And it's like, you know what, it's easier. Just go to amazon.com or .co.uk, .de, .jp, .any country you're in. Go to Amazon. That's the best way to get it. It's, uh, it, it's quality stuff and you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy the book, especially if you're a Pillman fan. But if you want to know a lot about the business uh, during those years, uh, you'll learn a lot. It's very interesting stuff. Yeah. And I would like to think that if you've listened to this interview, you know, um, you know that Liam obviously knows his stuff about wrestling and doesn't mind getting into huge amounts of detail about things as well, which is why the show is nearly two hours long, which <laughs> which, yeah. I, which I, I never planned for, but it's always fun when that happens. Um, and yes, so I want to thank you, Liam, for doing this, because I know you don't do many of much of this um and yeah, I, I just really appreciate it. And uh, I will see all of you next time at Hands Up the Merchandise on bbgwrestling.com. Mm-hmm.